This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Well, whoopsie-daisy, we accidentally released this next episode two weeks early because we didn't know that we weren't supposed to. But boy, did we solve that by pulling it, creating even greater anticipation for this conversation with Brandy Carlisle, which is an amazing talk, and also for Brandy's new book, Broken Horses, which is out April 6th. Please support Brandy, get that book, Broken Horses, and enjoy this podcast. Oh, hey, by the way, folks are still getting all connected up through our Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. You can support this show. It's all the time. I'm getting emails like every day that people are helping to support this show. Thank you for that. Very cool. Enjoy this chat with Brandy. have guests on the show introduce themselves would you introduce yourself yeah totally um this is brandy carlisle i'm a singer songwriter producer i live about an hour and a half outside of seattle washington in the cascade foothills and uh, i'm really excited to be on talking to you today <laughs> yeah i'm uh, i'm very happy to have you i was saying right before um we started talking that uh for our listeners very exciting day my partner Katie has just gotten the vaccine, not even home yet, so jazzed. We had a very stressful beginning of the pandemic. This is all going somewhere that directly applies to you um, <laughs> because Katie is immunocompromised and she like had the virus very early and it was super stressful. Oh, and, okay. you, you know, it's one of those times yeah. where you're like, what could be comforting in the world? You know, anything yeah, yeah. that you're just reaching out for for uh, comforting things. And one of the things that really got us through early days is uh, the High Woman album. Oh, cool. Because it had come out in September and we both really loved it. And it is such a comforting album to listen to all the way through. And I thought, what a wonderful day to be able to talk to you and say like, hey, thanks for making that music. It was really important. Is it comforting because it's sort of like, did you grow up with 90s country music and like 80s country music in your house? Number one, yes. And number two, I think the other reason it's comforting is like that that record feels really aspirational for Mm. me. Like, I just think the the messages that it's, you know, I want a house with a crowded table. We were were just like, you know, it's early days of the pandemic just being like, we want a house with a crowded table, (laughs) you know, like someday again. Um, But yeah, I think it really it's like a. Also, just hearing a bunch of voices together, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you, again, you at, that, too. at that time, you know, it's like everything felt so isolating. But like, yeah, here's a here's a team. Here's a yeah. team of people working together. Yeah. Um, wow. I never thought like, yeah, you're right. And it's actually interesting because we wanted to make most of that album singing in, in unison, not even really breaking up into harmony, which which doesn't happen very often because 
it happened one day by accident and we were like, wow, that's a sound. That's the sound of of a freight train of people all yes. sort of equally shoulder to shoulder making one push in the positive direction. And so we sort of tried to capture that as much as we could. So I'm glad that it spoke yeah. to you in that way during that time because it means that we kind of you know, I think you closed it. in on it. Yeah, we, yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, that's that's exact. I think that's exactly how it feels. You're right because of the, um, the unison singing. Another thing that happens a couple times on that record is like that y'all refer to you or they refer to you. They're like Brand, like it. It just it feels very um familial and mm-hmm. close. Yeah. So you know, when we think about like what will our art do for people at a mm-hmm. time when we can't have closeness and we can't have family feelings and yeah. Nothing feels in unison. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the only thing that feels like a freight train is negative. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was super impactful. Thanks. Good, I I love all that 90s country music so much. It's so, yeah, tell it's me so, more. Well, it's just such a big part of the of the building blocks of like why I do this job, you know? It's because I was like five, six, seven years old listening to Trisha Yearwood and the Judds and Patty Loveless and... Uh, Tanya Tucker, oh my God, Tanya Tucker, and then of course Loretta and Dolly, Brenda Lee and Katie Wells, and there's just so many women. There were so many women, and all their narratives kind of like clicked into my worldview, you know, um, as a young woman, as somebody that was watching my mom, you know, raise us, and it was just so disheartening to be all this w- direction in the future and have all this change and all these things come to pass and then have so few women to where you can't even turn the radio on and hear one in country music. Yeah, I think that's such a, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about that because I feel like for, because of more recent history, I think people don't even talk about what you're talking about, which is like the times that it has been different, you know, when there ha- when it has felt like there were really strong. Um, I mean, obviously Dolly's still like releasing music, but. Yeah, um, great music too. Yes. Uh, but there, you know, it, it is, I do feel like the popular narrative right now is like, there are no women in this art, in this field. Um, and so it's really interesting that that's not what you call to mind. They're there. It's just so, it's just so hard, you know, for them. I mean, it's like, I think it was like, I don't want to miss, I think it was Marin Morris had like a number one song on country radio and it had been something like two years and 38 days since a woman had had a number one song on country radio. And like, you have to consider that like every week there's a consideration for number one song. So how many times, how many weeks were there no women, even in that top 10, it's just kind of nuts because like, I just think about the high woman album never would have been made if that were my childhood. I mean, this is a really big question. So maybe you don't even have an answer, but what happened? Do you know what happened? Cause I don't I, know what happened. I'm not, I'm, I don't, don't work in your field. What happened? I don't know. I mean, I actually don't know because I wasn't really paying attention to that genre. I wasn't really paying attention to country music. Um, I was paying more attention to Americana, roots, folk, even alternative rock. And, um, you know, the kind of music that I had sort of grown into in my teenage years for many different reasons. But I wasn't really watching as women basically just became eradicated from the genre. And then when I realized it, when other women that I love were telling me, yeah, we're having a really hard time. We can't get on these festivals. We can't get played. I was like, whoa, this is really appalling. And I'm one of those annoying people that it sort of took by surprise. Um, So I'm not exactly sure what happened. I think that probably because, you know, music has become so monetized 
in in some ways that something worked one time and then they did it again and it worked again and then they did it again and it worked again and they just kept going back and pushing the money button until it just became a constant sort of stream of of one thing and I feel like that's just now starting to reverse when you watch, when you see the Grammys and you see what's happening in country music. It's really exciting to think that, oh man, there's all these little girls right now that are coming of age and being born and they're going to have the same, they're going to have country singers now, like I did, you know, when I was a kid, because that's all I was allowed to listen to. There's a lot of rural households that are that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering now that I think about it, it's like, oh, maybe even political change, you know, is part of what happened there because I don't know, just thinking about like, Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. You know, the overrepresentation of, say, like the religious right as being, you know, like an overlapping of like the Confederate flag, the religious right and country (laughs) music. And that those things are like uh, that that culture was smashing those things together, that that the you know, the the genre itself was um, maybe prioritizing that viewpoint for, for financial reasons or whatever it is. Um, I think that's still happening in many different corners of that world, for sure. And I see that actually clearer than ever. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I mean, I think about, like, I think about, uh, that just, it's making sense to me. Right. I'm remembering what happened to the chicks. I'm, like, remembering that era. And so I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. Um, But I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about where did, where, where were you, little teeny sprout? hearing this music with your mom. Where where, did you live geographically? Same, same place. I'm a complete creature of habit. I still live here. Um, I bought this log cabin out here 20 years ago, and um, but I sort of grew up out here too, just moving around the area from house to house. And we listened to country music, and we were a part of a thing called the Northwest Grand Ole Opry at a little town called Auburn, Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah, we would... We would join up with this Northwest Grand Ole Opry and we'd learn classic country music with the Opry band on Wednesday and then Friday and Saturday were the shows. And so I was so steeped in country music. I thought I had a Southern accent. Like I was obsessed with country music and country music. Yeah, I mean, you sort of do. (laughs) I do, right? But it's getting a bit British because I'm married to a Londoner too. It's a nightmare. (laughs) Complete poser. Well, I think that's... Again, you know, in terms of like what we represent as, you know, the reality of of America, I don't think people think about Washington as being rural or having the kinds of culture oh, that you're talking so about. Oh, it so is though. It's like Idaho. I know. Montana. I, I've tr- I've I am only because of my job. I've like tr- driven in the Pacific Northwest a bunch. Yeah, which I think is uh, it's beautiful to drive in. It is. Yes, it's so it's so beautiful. Also, you know, it does not look like. A Starbucks, <laughs> or it does not look like <laughs> grunge music. You know, it's like it's just like a for sure looks like the parts of um, rural Ohio that my mom grew up in. You know, like there's just a, I mean, well, the scenery is different, but I just mean in terms of like, yeah, folks, what it's yep. looking like for folks around there. Um, you live where you grew up. Yeah, I do. I think it's because I I I hit the roads so young in a in a van with my band and I started traveling and well actually I don't want to say like I hit the road so young I didn't get on a plane until I was like 19 that was the first time I ever left anywhere but I hit really hit the ground running and just I remember my first gig outside of like Washington or California was um in Wichita Kansas 
and we had to drive straight there. And um, we never stopped putting miles on ourselves from that point forward. And and so I just saw so many places and I saw so much change and I loved it so much and I embraced it that I kind of went full Gemini and then another part of me became very domestic and very rooted in my space that I was going to own for better or worse. I wanted my kids to go to my school and, you know, so I did that thing and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I did. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I, I did not make some of the same choices, but I am making those choices now, you know, for me. Yeah. I like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, 19 is when I first started doing comedy mm-hmm. and got my first like professional gig when I was 22. Cool. And I have not, I have not not performed. I've not not performed live. I mean, that's, I'm 39. That's 20 years of being out there. And the yeah. last 10 have been like very, very, very on the road. And I think what you're talking about, I wasn't doing that as much. Like I was just sort of, very much paying attention to the part of me that was zooming around. And one thing that the last year has afforded me is a lot of opportunity to look at like, how do I want to deal with anxiety or like friendship? And a lot of it has have been me making choices like, oh, I want to move to the mountains mm. and live in like a super chill spot and like, you know, be in the backyard with my dog. And that's what I like. Yeah, You know, I, I just, I like would come home from the road and then I lived like in the city center. Yeah. Right. And would just be like, okay, it's also brutal here. You know, like just everything was brutal. <laughs> like airports were brutal, but then like, there's like, just, you know, now I'm home, just, it's still brutal. yeah. I'm just like, yeah. it's actually louder here. Like, it's just, you know, it just, it was so much of, of the same thing. Yeah. Um, that I think I just, I could not see a different option and this has given me some space to see that so are you um, gonna do it we already did i live i live at the base i live in i live you know not too far from la but i live um yeah at the base of the mountains out here and uh it's great do you have like neighbors or do you live on on land we don't live on land uh because that would be like that's a little bit of a further out Uh move yeah um so we got neighbors but it is the vibes are chill. The vibes mm-hmm. are chill where we live. And there's bears. You know, it's like the yeah, fucking yeah. mountains. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, but do y'all have neighbors? Do you, you I mean, I, this log cabin that you're talking about. My situation is, is, is become really interesting. So, you know, I moved in here um, 20 years ago with my ex-girlfriend, uh, Kim, who now lives here again. Um, with me and my wife. <laughs> that <laughs> is Classic. the gayest shit Classic. you've ever heard, right? <laughs> so, what do you mean? I want to come back to that, but keep okay. going. Keep going. I know. Yeah. So, so like, I bought this five acres. We bought it together. I was really young, and um, and then over time, the acreage around it has come up for sale and been bought by my people so like you know i'm in a band with twin brothers i've been in band with them for the whole 20 years and one of them's married to my little sister and then i've had a cellist the whole time josh and he married my wife's sister and then my studio engineer married my wife's other sister and and then kim moved back and you know and then there's also a guitar player from another well-known seattle band that lives here with us too so basically it's like 95 acres now of just us like our our cult 
And, you know, we have a garden. Oh, congrats. And we do projects congrats. together. We share an excavator <laughs> and a tractor and we just ride four wheelers to each other's houses. And it's just a really super country. Um, but it's nice just to be with, um, you know, my people all the time. Just you, you have these exchanges and you get your fears out and you help, helps you avoid the conspiracy theories and it helps you stay grounded. It helps you not believe the hype about yourself. And it feels, um, I don't know. It feels really good. I like family and I like um, feeling like my roots are down and feeling settled. But then I also like getting up and traveling all over the world and, and singing and talking to people full time with my life. Well, yeah, that's what I want to ask you about next is how are you doing emotionally? Not, you know, having this big outlet that is live performance. Um, what is that like for you? What's that change been like? I think, it, well, it's been just a mixed bag, hasn't it? I'm sure mm -hmm. you can probably relate to this. We seem to have a lot in common, actually, the same age, and we've been mm -hmm. sort of performing for the same amount of time. And there is, like, my body has gotten used to it, the adrenaline, and, you know, this I do. Yes, keep going, keep going, keep going. But I want to, yeah, I want to put a pin in that. Yeah, well, when adrenaline. I found out that it that it went away, I had to shut myself off to thinking about it or and when I realized I was I was struggling is when um we bought this little fishing boat we've been taking the kids out camping in the San Juan little Covey islands and stuff out out in the Puget Sound and we were out there camping one night and we were tied up to a mooring buoy and um all the boats around us were people were hooting and hollering they were making noise because then people would holler back. And it was like this way to communicate with people. This was like during the intense part of lockdown. And my wife's like, get your guitar out and, and sing. Oh, and on, yeah. I just got this big lump in my throat. And I didn't say anything to her at the time. It took me a month to admit it. But I was like, no, no, I don't think I can get through that. Yeah. And so I didn't do it and I didn't admit to her that I was feeling really on the edge about it because I didn't want her to make me talk about it. So I, I was like on Instagram one morning and I scanned through a, a piece of footage of me at Telluride and the audience sang something back to me really loud. And then I just burst into tears for like four hours. I was inconsolable. I couldn't talk about it anymore. So yeah, it obviously is something I had to put in a compartment, shut it down and not think about how much I missed that interaction with people, with the audience, with music, and what I feel like I was put here to do. So it's something I know will come back. I feel like it is coming back. I'm getting word that like my shows are going to happen, you know, in late summer and that things are going to happen. And I think that's when I'll deal with it. But for the most part, I've had to just kind of shut it down because it's been too profound of a change for me to really accept. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I, I definitely, well, one thing I didn't realize is that I have been essentially, you know, on, on the drugs of the physical changes that, that performing caused in my body for such, for yes. multiple decades. Yes. And so, um, I will say now I feel pretty good because I've done a lot of work like earlier days, but that was a harsh um slam into a wall uh because it definitely felt like yeah this is what i'm saying like i like realized i oh i like have a ton of anxiety because without like mm -hmm. i think i just didn't realize how i mean 
congrats to young me finding this thing that sort of worked to process the world. So it's like I found out like, okay, if I do stand up, that sort of makes my body into a machine that yeah. processes anxiety or emotions by um, talking about them in front of huge groups of people. So it's like super risky and yeah. you have to succeed and you're sharing so much and it absolutely is exhausting and draining. And it sort of le left me... I mean, I'm messed up after I come off stage, but overall, I think the ups and downs, like I just mean, I'm messed up like uh, both exhausted and a little high on a the- A little amped, yeah, on yeah, the adrenaline. On the feeling. Um, and do, like, do laughs and applause give you that sort of like spike, that hit that you need? Oh my God, Or is it yeah. just the fact that you have to succeed, you cannot humiliate yourself, and there's no other way except complete success? Oh, I mean- both. But, you know, the yeah. thing about, uh, you know, it feels like being a maestro, you know, because yeah. you're like actually conducting. I mean, I think so much about even sound or physical posture. Oh, my God. Look, I had to like back up from the table because I got so excited just talking. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I need to but, engage my core. I'm like, yeah. but no, like I like think about, you know, breath and like I like project yeah. a ton and I'm like very physical but controlled and anyway like all of that stuff i i am very grateful because like i said i was like living that sort of upper level of my life and then down here i like needed to yeah like have something that's not that have a bunch of things that are not that so that's been that's been pretty cool but um do you, but just a quick question though, do, yeah. do you get any, so you're, you're very funny. I follow you online and I see everything you do and I think you're hilarious. You crack me up. You, but you can't feel me laughing. You can't feel me reacting to what you're saying and what you're doing, which is such a big part of the symbiotic exchange and the adrenaline that you're talking about. Like, have you found a way to adjust to the fact that you just have to believe you're funny because you're not going to get the response that you get live? Is That's it like really turned into this self-belief thing? Well, I mean, I kind of hate social media for that reason, because it like isn't the same um, conversation that live performance is. Mm -hmm. But something that has been really cool is that I started performing um, virtually like almost immediately. And yeah, me too. for a while, I was like trying to tape stuff and then mm -hmm. put it out. And what I found is that like if I perform on something like Zoom and I know that there are people there. Yeah, you have to. Even if they're muted, I it changes my ability to perform like 100%. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have to hear the laughs, Yeah, but it feels like dipping into an energy that is like, I didn't realize I could feel the energy mm -hmm. knowing people are there and mm -hmm. that like without knowing people that are there, are there, it's, uh, it just like does not feel fun to me. What about you? Yeah, I get it. No, it's the same. You just said it. It's the same exact thing. I can't really pre-tape stuff. I'm not an actor. I don't have that in me. It's taken me a long time to realize that's what people like about me is that I can't act. And they know that there's truth in, in what I'm doing. And it's kind of scary. And that's what that's what the deal is, you know? Like, there's a lot of good singers. But it's, some, it's something else. And so, yeah, taping stuff is weird. Having to act. Do liners. Mm -hmm. Things that are just inauthentic. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work <laughs> for me, you know? I mean, I I love that. And I think you're, you're right. I think it does show for you. I can see that 
Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Actually, this is this is something I just wanted to like definitely make sure to ask you, and I think we can put it in right here, which is this. Brandy, your style is awesome. <laughs> well, I don't think I've ever heard that said to me. That is not a sentence I ever thought. I'm just going to have a moment of silence for uh, yeah, eight-year-old Brandy. Just, Someone yeah. just said, Brandy, your style is awesome. And yeah, your style is awesome. Um, I am very curious because, so I've seen photos of you where you're like, on a red carpet, or, you know, I follow you on stuff too. And I see the things that you post where you're wearing like a fancy look. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm thinking about like, especially in your field, first of all, like just in general for folks like us that might want to wear a suit as a fancy look, there aren't a ton of examples of that. Certainly not in the music industry, certainly not like, um, as a, you know, extension of you. But I get this question all the time when I'm on the road. I don't like a lot of times people will ask me like, where do you get your suits? Or how do you have the confidence to wear that? Or like, this is a real question. Um, anyway, it's just something I really respond to in when you're wearing a fancy outfit. It feels um, very beautiful for me to see because you look great and you look like Thanks. yourself. Thank you. And I'm curious about, like, your evolution on that, if you could talk about that a little bit. Like, is it comfortable for you now? Did it used to be comfortable? I mean, I've been through such a gender evolution in my life. And I'll start at the end, and I'll say that I have a stylist, uh, Mariam Kapoor, who gets me. And she got me right away. And it was it was scary because I, I didn't, I never met her until I got nominated for all those Grammys in 2019. And I knew I had to kind of up my game a little bit to because I had always envisioned myself at the Grammy since I was like eight years old and I was like what would I wear and I was like well I guess I'd have to wear a dress and I guess I'd have to bring my mom and that's what you do you know you wear a dress and you bring your mom um so that's that's the that's how it ended it ended with Miriam seeing me understanding who I was and also who I was with Catherine and getting the two of us and what the two of us are together as a couple which is a whole other story and really um, profoundly important aesthetically for, I think, a lot of queer people. Yeah. I mean, I even just want to mark this for a moment in saying that I think, like, if you don't work in an industry that has access to this, something like a stylist might seem like, oh, well, then that person's just making decisions for you based on you. But I, but that's even hard to, to it's even hard to find somebody who might have a reference point for what we might be talking about. Or to, yeah, or to yeah, like really point. see what you're saying. So I just want to add that, like, that's not easy either. You know, f- putting yourself no. out there as a queer person or, and being like, this is what I want to wear. Mm-hmm. Can you make this happen? Like, even that is, it's actually a risk. 
you know well the stylist thing it's it's a there's a couple of reasons for it for people that don't um maybe have context around like what what that person does i mean for one thing clothes are really expensive and the stylist comes around with a whole bunch of them that you can borrow for free <laughs> which is great so like you have all these options of things that you can wear to go down a red carpet or show up to an event that you got to kind of give back later but um it's nice because you know not everybody can go into those stores and and throw down that kind of that kind of cash for for outfits so it seems kind of extravagant but it's kind of can be the opposite at times Mm -hmm. plus they understand like in a big picture way maybe with with what the music sounds like or with what how you're wearing your hair right now or with the way that you walked in and the way that you're feeling in your body they understand how to capture you in this moment and i think that for queer people that can be really fluid and it can change and it certainly has in my life so when i came out of the closet when i was 14 15 years old i really saw myself i really felt very masculine very male i wanted to be in boys clothes and i wanted to have really short hair and i wanted to i wanted for people to not really be able to tell whether or not I was um, a boy or a girl. And I actually didn't want to be skinny. I kind of wanted to be like a little stockier and stuff like that. And it was just like this kind of place that I was in uh, in my teenage years. And I kind of am proud of that time. And I look back on it in my my little high school yearbook pictures. I look exactly like, you know, John Mayer's high school yearbook (laughs) pictures. And, you know, and then I sort of moved out of that for a while and felt really feminine felt like in the other direction and I tried you know I wore dresses at my sister's wedding and I curled my hair and grew it out and started to get interested in makeup and and then I kind of went back the other direction for a little while and I had just really been able to like live in motion you know with my gender presentation and 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 with my queerness yeah no that's that's been the way it's at and where I'm at right now is probably where I'll always be you were saying that there has been, um, I cannot remember the word you used. It was like evolution or um, fluidity or like a, a rolling nature to your expression of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a rolling nature. Yeah, I wouldn't even want to use the word evolution because that sort of implies one direction or an improvement of sorts. But that's mm-hmm, not been the mm-hmm. case at all. It's just been um, that I've been in a lot of different places and, and I've, I've kind of always felt like I could step into my skin wherever that was at any given time, whether it was influenced by a relationship or just some, you know, situation in my life. Um, And I think that that's probably because, like, um, my first understandings of sort of fashion and style and kind of gender presentation came from Elton John, Elvis Presley, and the Grand Ole Opry. That was what I believed that fashion was so i was never absolutely to feel or look normal ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean well i guess there's a couple things first of all i i know this thing that you're i mean i i feel that i have changed my understanding my understanding of myself has changed over time i don't what i hear is like this amazing ease with it that's hard for me you know Mm -hmm. as i hear you talking about it and you're like i'm able to accept myself you know, as I am or as things roll along, I'm like, Brandy, teach me your ways. Because I feel, <laughs> for me, change is really hard. And even when the change right. is me, you know, when it's not like, 
I think we, we often talk about that like it is external to us, but but yeah, my understanding of myself has changed. I think my first, well, first, I mean, number one, definitely my first fashion inspo is Mary Stuart Masterson's character <gasps> in Fried Green Tomatoes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's absolutely my baseline. Well, you could never life. have gone wrong then. You had it right from, yeah, from the get. That's that's my baseline. Yeah. But then when I think about um, outside of that, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's a lot of dudes in music. Yeah, actually. Totally. Same. Yeah. But but I I mean, um, I, I definitely was inclined towards dudes in music that presented gender fluidity and, and also just eccentricity, like just take the mm-hmm. risks, just be crazy. And, you know, I don't think that Elton John ever fancied himself like particularly attractive or that his job was to m- make people attracted to him. Um, and I I sort of felt the same way. Like, I want oh, wow. to make people laugh and make people feel entertained and make people feel like what I was wearing was a message to them that I knew tonight was a big deal. Like, hey, I know you got a babysitter. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting because I feel like, I guess I would imagine that there's like a lot of pressure to be like a, like sexy as just a musician in general, just because that's mm-hmm. like such a thing that we think about as a factor for, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. rock stars. I know. I don't know why. I think <laughs> like, when I say, I mean, I was so uh, worryingly obsessed with Elton John. Like there wasn't, a, <laughs> there wasn't a square inch of my wall that didn't have an Elton John picture on it. Like it was covered with Elton John from the time I was like 11. And, you know, he was a duck sometimes. And sometimes he was the queen of England. And right. Sometimes, sometimes he was a duck. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he was a baseball player. And <laughs> But yeah. he was he was never uh, he was never dismissive of the audience and in, in what he wore like and I love grunge music but I would have never come out on stage in a t shirt or a flannel shirt because I would have never mm-hmm. wanted anybody to think anything other than wow this is huge for me I'm so grateful to be here you know just like wow. drama theatrics so yeah, yeah I love that being sexy never really came into it I found other ways for that other things for that. Well, I have many questions about what those things are, but I will also add <laughs> that, uh, well, actually, here's a question. Have you gotten to either meet or work with Sir Elton? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, both things. I talked to him. We did a FaceTime this morning because we got a new kitten. We we, we check in with Elton up. about everything we do. Yeah, he's like our, our um, fairy godfather. How is that? How is that change in your life? How is that? How is, how does it feel to, um, you know, be able to have that mutual respect and like actual personal relationship with somebody that was so important to you. It's surreal, man. It's like life is just extremely mystical. I never would have ever been able to fathom that that was, you know, going to be my life is that I was going to one day like be friends with Elton John, you know, when I was just this weird little kid, like in a small town, like trailer, just like obsessed with Elton John and thinking that I would never meet him one day. And if, you know, the people at my church were right, I wouldn't even meet him in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else made you a weird little kid? I was a weird little kid. I bet you were. Oh, you yeah. still seem like a weird little kid. <laughs> <laughs> compliment. 100%. This is a yeah. compliment. <laughs> yeah. 100%. What made yeah. you a weird little kid? 
Oh my God. At truly every choice I made every day. Same. Yeah. You know, like I just, there's like a, there's this Halloween photo that I found when I was, I was like writing a book about my life. I had to look through all these photos. I don't, I would never have found this otherwise. I don't even know how I forgot about this, but it's like Halloween. I'm like in sixth grade or something. My two friends are dressed as one of them is dressed as like a sock hop girl from the sixties, like a poodle skirt on. Sure. One of them is dressed as Judy Jetson with like iridescent, you know, skirt on. And I am dressed as Garfield with a full plush Garfield suit that is like, it has hand covers, it has shoe covers, it has a giant head, and in the center of Garfield's mouth is my face, like just smiling, <laughs> sitting between these two people like, You're like, is... how did I have friends? Yeah, like they're like, we all are like, this feels like our, our genuine self-expression, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was true, true oddball, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I get it. So many of us are just misfits. You know, right. There's, I think that sometimes we're drawn to this job, to these jobs, because I don't want to use a word as powerful as rejection, but mm -hmm. the, it is it is very powerful to feel accepted, seen, especially in your eccentricity, especially being able to stand strong in, in your gender, wherever it happens to be um, at any given moment. And then have that applause, have those laughs, have that acceptance and realize that like, not only are you in the room, but, sh but you're, you're being platformed in the room, you know, whereas maybe for a time we couldn't even get in the room. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you have that feeling and also that you didn't lose yourself. I mean, I would, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I would imagine there was like some pressure to be a different version of you along the way. Is that true or not? Um, you know, Elton read my book. I wrote a, the book about about my life too, and he read it and he and he called me the next morning, and he basically, well, he said, "No one's ever betrayed you," and I didn't think of it too much at the time, but I thought of it um, throughout the whole day and how right he is that, like, not only. Ha has no one ever really betrayed me but like I don't feel I feel like I've been protected from some some things you know and no one ever came along and said you really should wear this and your hair should look this way and you need to not tell people that you're gay or you can't talk about your girlfriend that never happened to me and I was on a major label you know when I was like 21 so it totally should have and I know it happened to like all of my peers and I feel like I've been sometimes put in this little bubble of of acceptance, and I've certainly had my share of of rejection and and um you know and and troubles. But yeah, no, there was never any pressure for me to be overtly more feminine than I am, or to pretend I had a boyfriend, or to hide my girlfriends, or to not talk about um, my life and my music. And so I've just, oh, I've just always been able to, but I've been able to because of all the same heroes that I'm sure that you have. Yeah. I mean, as you're speaking about that, I'm, it does not, that does not sound like my experience at all. Tell and me I about your experience say, then. Oh, what did, did you say that, it, that, you, that Ellen said you've never been betrayed? That was the word betrayed? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah. Betrayed. Yeah. It was strange. 
oh my God, like I feel like that if I had to like identify a word that does speak about how I felt in understanding myself, that might be it. Like really in the, yeah, I mean, it was my experience at the very early age was like um, rejected by faith, friends, and family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think maybe, maybe that's why I'm a stand-up comic and why you're a, <laughs> a singer of beautiful ballads about togetherness. Um, you know, like maybe that's part of the difference. But I don't – but I I think I feel, as you're talking about it, I feel so happy that you've had that experience, for number one, for you, just as a human. But then also to think about the diversity in – our community. Like, I'm so happy that people have had this experience because then I get to see somebody who might feel confident walking across a room in, you know, the thing I want to wear. And I can think like, oh, then that's chill for me. You know, like, I've, yeah, like yeah, I feel yeah. happy that you have gotten, and you also use the word protected. And I'm so curious, like, do you, um, do you think by an entity like the universe, higher power type of a thing? Or do you mean... Yeah, I do. Mystically yeah. in that way. But I had a lot of early rejection, like the stuff that I think you're probably talking about. And something formed around me. Something for just... In, it, was, it's a very, it was very interesting and surreal to have this like childhood hero, you know, um, point that out to me. Hmm that that morning and i realized like okay yeah for at least from what i wrote in this book and from what i understand to be my trajectory and my story yeah something has been shepherding me through this time do you do you pray do you oh, like, yeah. connect with that identity i that with that entity yeah you do you pray so what about you you said rejected by faith friends and family did you have a a big faith rejection i did um yeah, I mean, listeners to this show certainly know this story, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I was really Catholic and I was a theology major and I really mm. wanted, um, I was a person of great faith, but that faith was like very rooted to what I thought was the Catholic Church's expression of social justice. Sure. And then to find out that like the basis of that was unjust was a real mm-hmm. betrayal. Habitually, um, yeah. Yeah, and so... But this is, it's its a really, it does have a kind of a beautiful end, which is that I'm on a journey right now to figure out what parts of myself from that, back then I would like to reintroduce to myself. You know, yeah, I yeah. have, I had this like really formative and awesome professor who, um, from college, from this college that was terrible time for me, who mm-hmm. um, I have reconnected with. And who texted me this week to tell me how upset he is at the Vatican for Same. what yeah. they said. You know, and like to hear that from, this was the head of the theology department at the school where I went. A school where you couldn't come out and be gay. To have that person text and say, like, this makes me sick. I just want to say that that's uh, I'm on a, I'm on a road, Brandy. We don't know. No, I get it. I mean, the, the, the book I just wrote, Broken Horses, it's, if I could say, you know, in short, what it's about. It's about overcoming foundational things, but it's also definitely about that intersection of queerness and faith and how traumatic it is, which parts of it you take with you, which parts of it you don't. And that's a theme 
in in my book that's really visited upon because it's actually probably the source of all my music, all my art, and a, a, such a big part of who I am. Like we know, we know there's something we can't see. We know we're not algae, and which parts of of that truth hurt us and which parts don't, you know? Well, I can't wait to read this. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this like a lot more. I almost yeah. went into, um, I almost took a couple of online seminaries courses when in my late 20s when I had a big second calling. And I've um, been taking them during the pandemic. Anyway, let's just talk about this a different time, but you almost took them in your early 20s and then what happened? Well, I actually wanted I I struggle with my education. I dropped out of school really young and I wanted to reach certificates and levels of achievement that I couldn't without going back and getting my GED, GED. And I've always felt really conflicted about that. And then the ones that I could do online, you can't be gay and, and be involved in them. So I struggled with that and I set it aside and I was like, I actually don't need certificates. I can study without without all of this drama. I don't need to go back to being 14 again. So I didn't, but I did study. And I have a lot of thoughts and a, a lot of really good um, books and beliefs and, and, you know, centering concepts. It's really interesting, too, being a mother and deciding which parts of that story to integrate into my children's psyche and which, not, and which parts not to as well. Because there's so many beautiful wow. things and so many harmful Absolutely. things. Oh, Brandy, I would like to talk with you about this for Me too. days. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yet, I want to be mindful of your time. Um, and I just want to ask you, oh, I can't believe we have to end this conversation. I have thousands of questions, thousands. I will <laughs> table them all inside my mind. Um, but I wanted to ask you to shout out a queero which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you could be who you are today? I can't shout out a queero without shouting out the queeros that are uh, the Indigo Girls. Yes! yes! We have not had them shouted out yet. I know. Isn't that interesting? They should have been shouted out by everyone from, <laughs> from the rooftops. And that's what I aim to do at the next 10 years of my life, is to just bring as much attention as I can to the fact that M Amy and Emily are are so revolutionary and so on the front of, of this wave and have taken so many hits for us. And they've been, wow. um, they've been parodied and, and sidelined in, in, and don't even see those things as a negative because they've been so profoundly uh, impactful to, um, to oh, who we man. are and what we do. And also they're freaking brilliant musicians and they're I, still making brilliant music right now. Yeah, absolutely. I also think like, I think to be a white person that is our age, that was raised in this country, it is like, and a woman like that. I cannot think of songs that I like screamed in the back of station wagons more <sighs> frequently than Indigo Girls songs, you know, like that is just like each word, yes. every lyric, yeah. like, and this is before I had any idea who I was. You know, this is like little kid stuff when I, when those were all of our favorite songs. So mm -hmm. what a wonderful thing to then grow up a little bit and find out like, oh, that's me. You know, like that was yeah. a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I could hear it yeah. in their voices and that they were using, um, mm -hmm. you know, same gender pronouns like at the mm -hmm. time when, when no yep. one else was. Yep. Yeah. 
Oh, huge. All right. Well, shout out to them. And thank you, Brandy. Thank you. Hello. What a great chat. Like, this should be the first of many. Yes, you bet. 